You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. And now, Pastor Lloyd Baker. Uh, we've been speaking about the Ten Commandments, week one. We talked about the law of love. The verses that we have with the first commandment is verses one through three. It said, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And the first week we destroyed the myth that God gives us laws to create a pathway to him. We're already in relationship with him. We blew away the misconceptions that these rules were given us to gain credibility with God or acceptance with God. We already have acceptance with God. And these first scriptures says, number one, I am the Lord your God. That's personal. I have already delivered you out of slavery. We're in relationship. And now that we have relationship, I'm going to give you some rules and guidelines to keep you safe. Because you only give rules to your children, right? You give people the rules that are in your relationship, commandments. Um, obedience to rules does not get you into relationship. It proves that you are in relationship. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. So that by our works, by the things that we do, by the rules that we keep, no one can boast. It's only from God. So here's the point. God's laws, God's rules are not a condition for relationship. They are a confirmation of relationship. And God didn't give you His rules to get you saved. He gave you His rules to keep you safe. So commandment number one is very, very simple. You shall have no other gods before me, or I want to be your one and only exclusive God. Now, commandment number two is found in verses four through six. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I love this, I'm a jealous God. I'm punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God was saying to them, don't you dare treat me like you did the gods of Egypt. This was a radical departure from the multiple gods of Egypt they had known for 400 years of slavery. In fact, monotheism was unique and unheard of in those days. It was very common in all the religions of those days to assign uh, certain tasks to only certain gods and you use them for the immediate crisis and then forgot about them. So if you have crop problems, we've got a God for that. You can pray to Him. If your child's sick, we have another God for that. If you have infertility, we, well, we have one of those gods too. And you take them off the shelf, you dust them off, you pray to that God when the crisis is there. And when the crisis is done, you put that God neatly away until you have another crisis in, in that category. And God says, I don't want to be just part of your thing. I want to be your everything. I want to be in every aspect of your life. And God gave a stern warning with this command. He says, if you take me out of the center of your life, if you shrink me down to this little idol form, something that you can manage with what you want, you put me on a day, in a moment, in a building, and not in the entirety of your life, it's going to affect your children and your children's children. 
They'll see the hypocrisy of that and it will affect them. But the promise is this. If you put me in the center of everything, front and center, and allow me to permeate every arena of your life, I become real to you every day. It's personal. Then you will be blessed for a thousand generations. I like the promise better than I like the curse, right? So now we're going to be at commandment number three. I'm going to read it to you in the King James Version because my grandma quoted it this way a lot to me when I was young. <laughs> Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And if you had a grandmother like my grandmother, you heard this commandment many times. This was her interpretation of, of this verse. Don't you dare swear a cuss. Because when you hit thy thumb with thy hammer... Do not scream out the name of thy God. Okay, that's what's her interpretation. Or, when you stub thy toe on thy kitchen island, don't let obscenities pour forth from thy mouth. When I was in the seventh grade, in junior high school, I decided to dabble a little bit and expand my vocabulary. I had not yet come to faith in Christ. And I happened to be down the street at a friend's house, and they were Christians, but, but they had the coolest bike ramps where you'd jump off and land. It was so cool. So all the friends would go there after school, and we'd ride our bikes and go off and ride around. It was a lot of fun. Well, because of my new language, uh, they decided that they would banish me from their property forever. So all my friends would go there and play, and I'd be left out. I'd have to stop. It was like this invisible barrier that I had to go through that I couldn't get through. Um, now, I wasn't cursing like a sailor, but according to these well-meaning Christians, uh, I needed to change my language in order to obey commandment number three. I needed to change uh, my, how I reacted to painful situations. And when I decided to follow Jesus Christ, and especially when I decided to become a pastor, uh, I had to learn new ways to express myself, <laughs> which was difficult at times. Uh, if I stepped on a thorn in beautiful Arizona desert, I'd yell, Oh, Jesus! I love you so much. And so, you know, I try to figure out ways. You know, in the summer, you know, in, back in the 80s, when I get in my hot car that had no AC, and I was wearing shorts, and shorts in the 80s were <laughs> shorts. They were real shorts, not these fake shorts. And you sat down in your leather chair or your leather seat. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, fire truck, this is hot. <laughs> So uh, when I'd slam my, the door, you know, on my finger, it'd be, son of a motherless goat. So anybody know where that movie, that comes from what movie? Who said it? Okay, you got a, I got a prize for you. <laughs> You'll like this. This is some homemade black raspberry jam that I made. All right, I'll pass that back there. Don't take it, pass that back. <laughs> to the lady in the back. Three amigos. Wow. Lucky day. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, my daughter knew that, right? Yep. Yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> well, here's the thing. My words had changed, but my feelings had not, right? My attitude was the same. Uh, let's be honest, sitting in a car that has no AC and with letter C, that, it burns. Uh, I, I do love Jesus when I stub my toe, but it throbs in pain. <laughs> Slamming your hand in the door really hurts. Um, if you can experience pain and not react, I suggest you become a Navy SEAL. I, I react when it comes to pain. Uh, um, 
All I did was Christianize my reactions. Here's some interesting points about this concept. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually probably crossed some lines when he wrote in the original language, when he was talking about some false prophets and their teaching. He says they were being actually, they were, they were full of dung is what he said in the original language. He was talking about some other guys that were teaching false things. And he says, I wish they'd go all the way and just castrate themselves. Which back in those days would have been vulgar language to say it that way. So it's actually things like that in the Bible. Um, words are culturally defined, aren't they? So what is offensive in our language here in America may not be offensive in somebody else's culture. First time I ever preached in Australia, I was preaching in a church. And I was talking about a sports event. And I was talking about we were on one side. We were rooting for this team and root, you know, we were rooting. And then the other team was rooting for their team. And I'm telling this very engaging story. And I was expecting this wonderful response. And all I got was these just stares at me with these open mouths. And so the pastor came to me afterwards and I, I said, did it go? Okay, he goes, well, he goes, just so you know, the word rooting would be the same as you saying the F word in your language. That's what we use that word for. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no wonder I got stares when I was preaching. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a funny story. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus and the New Testament does talk about cursing. But in the truest sense of the word, don't curse others. Don't damn others to hell. Don't verbally assault others. People are made in God's image and they're wonderful creatures creations of God and, and we to tell somebody to go to hell it's probably the worst wish you could ever wish upon another human being and it's hard for me to fathom that after 400 years of slavery 400 years of silence that God finally delivers these people and he's going to make a new nation he says listen now that you're more people now that I own you let me give you some rules Rule number one is this. I want to be your one and only exclusive God. And they're probably thinking, well, that, that makes sense. You, I mean, you just delivered us that second rule. Don't treat me like you treated those idols. I don't want to be a part of your life. I want to be in all of your life. And rule number three is when you get angry and the car, you know, hood slams on your fingers, please don't swear. You know, don't be a potty mouth. It really bothers me. I don't like that. Can you imagine that? Before he gets to don't kill anybody. <laughs> don't commit adultery. Don't steal. I just really would like you to clean up your language a little bit. I, that would really help me out if you could do that. You know, what I mean? that's number three. Out of all the ten, that's number three. I, I now listen. I'm not saying. Hear me. It's a good idea to yell out God's name in disgust. It's disrespectful. I think it's flippant. Um, as a follower of Jesus, I, I don't like to curse. I think it makes me look unintelligent. And diminishes my credibility with others. It offends other people. So I just don't think it's something that we ought to be doing. But this commandment has nothing to do with cursing or swearing. And the Jewish leaders got so wrapped up in this commandment, they took it to a religious nth degree. So when they were writing the ancient text and they got to the name of God, they would actually use a new pen and new ink to write God, lest they say or write the Lord's name in vain. So it would be like, uh, when, when, and then new pen, God, and then the old pen, created the heavens and the earth, da, da, da. So they were that. In fact, they would not even say certain names of God, so they were af- so afraid of using the Lord's name in vain. Um, was that what God really cared about? Was he really worried about spiritual Tourette's? I mean, is, is that what is, is in commandment thing? I don't think so. 
And let me tell you what the scripture actually means. Let me reread this scripture. This time we're going to use the NIV version of the Bible. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And the voice Bible is a very loose translation. The Bible states it this way. You are not to use my name for your own idle purposes. The New Life Version I like, it says, Do not use the name of the Lord, your God, in a false way. Another way to say this is, Don't use God's name for your own vanity. Or, here's what it means. Don't associate my name with something that I'm not associated with. Don't attach my name with something I don't want anything to do with. Don't leverage my name for your own personal vanity and goals. Don't use my name to accomplish your will and your agenda. Don't misrepresent me and my name. Now that was incredibly important to God. After 400 years of slavery, he's calling his people out. He's creating a new nation, one nation under God, Israel. And Israel would represent him, who he was, to the world, and not only that, to history. So God is saying, listen, keep my name pure. Keep my name respectable. Keep my name holy, because people will form an opinion about me by the way that you speak and by the way that you act. Because you represent me to this world. And when you do, you know, don't misuse and misrepresent my name. Uh, an illustration, let's say you own Fred's children's coloring books. And you, you publish children's books for children to color and play. And somebody in your company takes your credit card and they go online to an adult bookstore and they place this massive order in, in your company's name. And all of a sudden you get the bill from your credit card company and you're looking at it and you're going, they used my name. They used my company to accomplish something that disgusts me. It's something that, that goes exactly in the opposite of what I desire to, to entertain children. I can't believe they used my name for something like that. They've misrepresented my name. They've tainted my name. It bothers me greatly when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, PL, someone said that you said, and I go, you know, I never said that. I never intended that. I never insinuated that. They misrepresented me. Let us now go and talk to them together (laughs) and we shall straighten this out. Because my reputation is at stake. When Jesus showed up, the religious leaders (laughs) were misrepresenting God all the time. They had a religious racket of taking the people's money in the temple. The story is found in Matthew 21. Uh, They were selling and buying in the temple. Here's how it worked. People would come to the temple and they would have their sacrifice and they they were innocent. They wanted to connect with God. They wanted their sins forgiven. So they would bring their sacrifice to the temple. But before they could make their sacrifice, the priests and the Pharisees had to look at their sacrifice and make sure it was without blemish. It was pure. And guess what? It was never without blemish. But we just happen to have a pre-approved lamb here that we would love to sell you for about 10 times the going price. It was a racket. Not only that, you can't buy this lamb with your money. You have to buy it with our special temple money. And when they did that, they would give it to you with a hefty exchange rate. Religious people using God 
for their own gain. They were misrepresenting God. Jesus was outraged. He enters the temple and he starts destroying everything. And listen to what he says in verse 13. It is written, My house is to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a place of robbers. And Jesus said, You are totally misrepresenting what this is supposed to be about. God intended this to be a place where anybody and everybody could come and meet Him. A place of prayer. A place for them to connect in relationship. And now you've turned it into a place where you're robbing people. You're misrepresenting the purpose of this temple. It's a scam to the innocent. It's happened throughout all history. In the Crusades, the European Christians believed that it was their duty to go free Jerusalem from the Muslims. So in the name of God, they had holy wars. And there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people being killed for 200 years. The Civil War, there were preachers literally using biblical passages that proclaiming that slavery was biblical. Uh, God ordained and that African Americans were inferior. The first church I pastored was in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and that's where Brittany was born. And the 18 years prior to me getting there, I'd gone from several hundred people in attendance down to 15 people in attendance. Because I was 29, it was my first church, they thought I could handle 15 people. Uh, <laughs> Uh, when we got there, the main leader of the church at that time was driving us around and showing us the new neighborhood we're about to pastor and minister to. We're all excited. She's driving us around. She says to me, and uh, forgive me for this reference, but she's looking around. She goes, man, there's a bunch, and she uses the N-word, living around here. And Judy and I just looked at each other, and I said, we don't use that word. <laughs> you know, this is a leader in our church. Um, the former pastor quit leading Sunday nights and Wednesday night, Wednesday night church service. He turned him over his wife because Sunday nights and Wednesday nights were his bowling nights. Um, we lived in a parsonage. How many people know what a parsonage is? If you've been in the Midwest, you sort of know that. It used to be they built churches, and right next to the church was a pastor's house. And in the Midwest, another thing is they, they don't have these big walls and brick fences that we have. They just have chain link fences that go around. So you can always see your neighbors and wave to each other and... So we were living in this parsonage, and I was so excited because we, we finally had property. I liked the garden. We could build a garden. So I built this garden that went right up to the chain link fence. We went away for summer camp, and I came back. And somebody had taken a uh, hedge trimmer and knocked down my garden about three to four feet in away from the fence. I mean, tomato plants were cut down, and everything was cut down. And I thought, that's really strange. So I went to one of the elders, and I said, do you think my neighbor next door went and cut down my garden. I mean, do you think he did that? He goes, oh, yeah, I do. I go, well, why would he do that? He goes, well, the former pastor and he used to have these massive fights over property lines. And if there was foliage or whatever, the growing over the lines, they, they would literally stand outside in the backyard and everybody would hear them, the whole neighborhood knew about it, and scream at each other because of the situation. So when I found that out, I immediately went and knocked on this gentleman's door and he answered the door, and he was ready for war. And I said, listen, I want to apologize for intruding into your property line. I'm new to the area. I'm new to the Midwest. I didn't realize that was an issue, so please forgive me. I also want to apologize on behalf of the pastor before me because I found out that you guys probably had some, some quarrels and stuff like that. And I just want to let you know that's not how God feels about you. And that's not how I feel about you. And, and he misrepresented... <laughs> 
God's name to you. And uh, he was dumbfounded, just looked at me and said, okay. <laughs> and later he started letting his wife and, and his children come to the church. He would come on Easter and, and Christmas. And then we had the money to be able to put a new roof on the church. And when we did, he came and was my strongest volunteer building the roof on the church. I wish I could tell you that's the only time I've ever had to apologize on behalf of the kingdom of God and other people. <laughs> it's not. In fact, I don't remember how many times that I've had to have that conversation. Please forgive me. And on behalf of God's kingdom, please forgive us. Because that is not how God feels about the situation. Um, we, we, uh, I went door to door in our neighborhood just asking the people how our church could serve them and how we could pray for them. When it came around October, we had a big fall festival in the basement of our church, and we just had well over 100 of the uh, neighborhood kids coming there, less fortunate, mostly high projects. And this leader in our church, the first one we had that said that word, she was literally hyperventilating because we were in this closed space. <laughs> All these people of a different race around her. To her credit, a year later, she was holding them and hugging them and serving them and loving them. Um, we became a, known as a church where interracially mixed couples could come. I remember literally having somebody come to me and say, hey, listen, I heard I'm black, my wife is white. I heard we can come to your church and won't be judged. I said, if anybody does judge you, you let me know about it because I will deal with it. You see, God knew that religious people could lose sight of him. And God knew that religious people could hurt the innocent. God knew that other people would associate His name with His people. And God knew that religious people would use His name for their own personal gain and His power for their gain. God knew the damage it would do to faith when His name became misrepresented in this world. So He made a commandment, a very important commandment. Don't misrepresent my name to this world. Don't you get religious on me and make a bunch of rules, man-made rules to try to manipulate and control others. Don't you attach my name to anything that I don't want anything to do with. Don't you leverage my name. Don't you use my words to find loopholes to justify your sins. Don't do that. Don't take pure things and make them impure. Don't take holy things and make them holy, unholy. And God gave another warning to this commandment. Listen to this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. And this is serious business because when God's name is misrepresented, many people will never find forgiveness. They'll stay stuck and lost in the guilt and sin of their wicked and wickedness. Not only we're going to lose the pure uh, intimacy we have with the Father we will lose passion and heart for missions for other people, just like we've seen in these stories. And you can tell the status of a relationship of, of people by the way someone speaks to one another, the names they use. My daughters know that. Uh, my wife knows that. Uh, God knows. Just by the way we, we phrase. I mean, I, when I was a child, I knew the difference between Lloyd Rustin Baker and, uh, hey, sports fan, you know, or as my mom would say, hey, little pumpkin. <laughs> How's my little pumpkin? I knew the difference, right? And people can tell the status of your relationship with the Father by how you use and speak His name and how you interact with Him. Here's the sad thing. 
The Pharisees' job back in Jesus' day was to connect people with God and to look for the Messiah. That was their job. And they were so religious, they were so misrepresenting God's name, so corrupt, so leveraging God for their own personal gain, that they totally missed Jesus as the Messiah. And not only that, got the crowds to yell, crucify him. When it came to that point, they led others astray. And that's serious business with God, just so you know that. When religious leaders and spiritual leaders lead people astray and misrepresent God. Religious people do it all the time. In the night of righteousness, we condemn and judge. We get more concerned about our cause than we do the cross. In the name of justice, we backbite and retaliate. We sin and we justify our actions. And I've broken the third commandment. Uh, I've lived a life supposed to be representing God and then did things and said things that misled others. Um, it's been some of the most disappointing times of my life. I don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> I don't ever want to misrepresent God. It hurts many people. It does. Here's Jesus' version of the third commandment. Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the name of your Father in heaven. See, they're going to make a connection between you and Him. And so the commandment number three is, it's, it's a powerful commandment. Don't misrepresent my name. Because if you do, people are going to miss out on me. I'm convinced of this. This is why it's so important. I'm convinced of this, that if most people could see the pure, clear, authentic, unadulterated, true representation of the Father's character and love, most people would say yes. Why would you turn that down? We felt it. We know it. And if they really knew who the Father was and how He felt about them, why would you say no? The problem is they don't get a true version sometimes. They don't get a pure vision vision of who He is. And so our job is this. Let's be good representation, right? Let's not misuse the name of the Lord. Let's not misrepresent the name of the Lord. I want that for this church with all my heart. I want this church to be a place where people go, you know what? They really love God there and they show it to me. They represent God well and His love well. And we feel it as a community. So let's pray that prayer that we would just have a life like that, okay? So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. First, we just repent for the times that we all have misrepresented your name. We've said things or done things that just um, we shouldn't have said or done. And so we ask your forgiveness and let us come to a place that uh, um, we can just do that better. Your name is powerful. Your name is wonderful. Your name is grace. And so let us just represent you well. Holy Spirit, come now. And as Aaron said, lead us down that path of righteousness. Give us strength to do what we know to do. To love you with all our hearts so that all will see and will be a light shining to this world. 
And make streams just that place, Father, just a glowing light to this community. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. The mission of Streams Church is very simple, to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to streamschurch.org.